Hey guys, it's Caroline. I just wanted to leave a little message for you before today's episode plays. I wanted to thank you for making the first two months of Out of Line such a really fun journey. And thank you for growing with me. Thank you for listening to me figure out how to be a podcast host, um, to figure out how to not talk over people and to not uh, ask boring questions. Thank you for your DMs, your emails. Thank you for sending requests of different people that you want me to have on the show. Thank you also for your reviews. They all mean so much to me. And I really just want to wish you a happy holiday. And as we end 2017, just send you all my love and together collectively if we can shake the dust off our boots and get ready to leave anything behind that doesn't serve us and that we don't want to carry with us into 2018 and um, I can't wait to see what we create together in, in the new year I will be here with brand new content every single week and I really can't wait to um, see where this community grows so thank you so much cheers I think we have an, um, a lot of sex education that we got around STDs and how to practice safe sex. And there's plenty of sex education, but there's not, there hasn't been a spiritual sex education in our youth and in growing up and understanding the energetics of sexuality. You're listening to Out of Line with Caroline Lee, exploring offline realities with online personalities. Ryan Weiss is also known as Waking Up With Ryan and his love for being a life coach and advocate for morning practice. Ryan sends out a daily email empowering his thousands of subscribers with a morning grounding where he often references A Course in Miracles and sometimes his own Jewish upbringing. Ryan has reinvented himself many times, singing and dancing on Broadway for years before returning to LA where he currently leads yoga retreats and coaches his clients. Ryan came over to my place to record our discussion on sex and spirituality. (laughs) What are you wearing? Well, what I'm wearing is a shirt that says, I'm actually wearing a shirt that says Powered by Orgasm. I know, I I love it. It's a good color. It's a nice V. Not too low, not too high. (laughs) Looks great with your high-waisted denim. Mm. <laughs> I um I saw a couple a couple years ago I was in Joshua Tree and I went to a cafe and this older woman she would have been in her 60s was wearing a shirt that said powered by orgasm and I was like be my best friend. <laughs> I just like my mouth just was just wide open for like 10 minutes while I watched her. And then I texted uh, my friend and said I'm looking at a woman that's wearing a shirt that says powered by orgasm and then when I came home this had been made. That's a good friend. <laughs> I love that kind of person who hears I just saw a shirt called Power that says Powered by Orgasm, and I loved it. And then their next thought is, oh, I'm going to make one for you. Oh, it's love. It's love. It's true love. Yeah. Yeah. So and I knew we, we, might, we might be talking about such topics today, so I wore it for you. I'm so glad. I mean, you were like, what should we talk about today? And the first thing that came to mind was sex. I mean, it's not, that's not normally what comes to mind. I don't know why. I mean, maybe I do know why, but I don't know why. But we are all powered by orgasm. We are. And we're all here thanks to sex. So true. Thanks, thanks mom. Sex. And dad. Or if you have two dads and two moms, maybe one that's both or neither. Very true. Thank you, parents. Thanks, guys and thanks. gals and them. Yep.
Thank you, them. <laughs> All right. So I love that when I when we emailed about this and I, you know, that 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 sex is the first thing that came up because not that I like to, you know, source that in the world, but I do. So what does that mean? Source that like that? I like to just bring up in people like I like to make sex jokes and I like to talk about sex and I like to talk about things that are taboo. Do you feel now that there's this big harassment conversation that you have to tamper the sex talk? Do you notice the impulse inside yourself? I notice that I, um, I notice that I'm intentional about where and when I make jokes and the types of jokes that they are, because I like to, be like a 15 year old boy and the way that I will say that's what she said and things like that. But I also want people to feel safe around me and want people to know that if they ever came to me and said, I have to talk to you, like something terrible has happened, that I would be a safe space. And I think what's interesting is when I think about you, I don't think about, I've never experienced you with a level of abandon or disrespect around sex. I've never, you know, and I'm actually very, quite sensitive to that. Like, I will call a person out if they're being inappropriate in a space. I've kind of always been that way, but I've never noticed that about you. Well, that's good. So I, I would imagine you've always been pretty respectful of the of the person and the place and the moment and the time. But also, it's important not to lose our sexuality and our fun and our flirtation and our irreverence with life. Like, to become too stoic and too serious with sex is... I hope that that's not, you know, it might be what the pendulum's doing one way with all the har- harassment stuff in the news and the news and what the fuck's the news? All the harassment stuff in the world. Right, right. <laughs> the fuck is <laughs> wrong with me? Um, but uh, the pendulum will swing one way and hopefully we'll, we'll find, hopefully we'll find center. I hope so. I hope so. I I saw someone posted a, a, a tweet that was about, um, you know, I keep hearing all these men are like having a hard time sleeping at night because they wonder if they're the next ones that are going to be, you know, a, a, like accused for sexual assault. And they were like, here's a really clear way to figure out if you're the next one. Have you sexually did, assaulted? Did anyone? you done it? <laughs> did you done it? Yeah. If you have reason to sweat, then then sweat. Yeah. Otherwise, Chill. Yeah, You're chill. Good. You're good. And well, and I think there's also probably something to say about, you know, people who maybe have not like Marion. We were just talking about Marion Williamson she, in her lecture the other night. She was like, "We've got to be careful right now to decipher between what is a jerk, like a rude jerky thing to do, versus what is criminal." Mm. And that there's some jerks who have done jerky things that are being treated like criminals right now. And we have to make sure that we don't let the pendulum swing that far. And then there are criminals who have been abusing children and time, you know, using people against their will. Like that's criminal activity. Absolutely. And that is to be, uh, held accountable. It's all to be held accountable, but there's a difference between a jerk and a criminal. Absolutely. Yes, Marianne for the win. For the win. I love her. I love her. Um, if you guys don't know Marianne Williamson, go check her out. We, I think our generation really needs to be listening to people like her more. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like sometimes I think I'm so smart and I think I really see the world through like such clear glasses. And then I go hear her speak and the perspective and the experience um, of what she's been through, through Vietnam and ending a war, through the AIDS epidemic, through, you know, she's just lived longer and lived so wisely. Mm. 
And I think we need to be listening to that perspective. Yeah, it freaks me out when I talk to people who I would consider in the advocacy, kind of um, the wokeness kind of movement. And I and I will mention her. And sometimes if they're like, who? Uh, if It absolutely freaks me out because I'm like, oh, I, I just thought that she was all of our shining light. Yeah. I just assume that we all look to her for everything <laughs> because I know I do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So tell me about something that comes up for you in the topic of sex and being a millennial, being Jewish, being yeah. like you have so many labels that could be attached to you. You could be identified as, you know, all sorts of different things. But let's just kind of like peel it all the way back. Sex. Talk to me about it. Well, the very first thing that came to mind is um, there's a time and a place for casual sex, but... Uh, especially with millennials, a lot of people in our age group are single and curious as to why. And they're saying that they want to be in long-term monogamous relationships and they are going on dates and sleeping with people right away. And they're like wondering why it's not working. And I think we have an, um, a lot of sex education that we got around STDs and how to practice safe sex and, there's plenty of sex education, but there's not, there hasn't been a spiritual sex education in our youth and in growing up and understanding the energetics of sexuality. And I think that it's a disservice to someone to not understand more deeply what's happening on emotional, mental, spiritual level. And we tend to think about sex as a, as a very physical act. And yeah, we think about it as something that connects us with another person. So there's something emotional there, but to really dig, dig into like, one human is going to take a body part, whether it's a tongue or a penis or a toy or and enter into another person's body, their temple with said device or or body part or and there's nothing more connected between two people than that moment. But if I don't trust you, if we haven't established a connection around vulnerability, communication, if I haven't really gotten to let myself feel safe around you and comfortable around you and open, then um, and then I allow you inside of me, that can do things to our relationship. It can send like a shockwave into our relationship because we don't have a foundation yet, right? We go on one date with somebody, we're like, oh, they're so attractive and often, well, I know for myself, I used to think I had to sleep with somebody or I had to make out with them because it was either a way I, I, I could prove ah, that I feel attract that I am attractive or um, that if I don't, that they won't want to hang out with me again or whatever thoughts. It all boiled down to my own insecurity, right? Um, but what I, along the way, I started realizing like, huh, I do want to be in a long-term monogamous relationship, why am I so in a rush to have sex with somebody? If what I'm saying is I'm on a first date with you right now, but this may be the first of hundreds or thousands of dates that I may have with you with you. This may be the beginning of 35 plus years that I may have with you. Why am I in a rush to have sex with you right now? And I'll never forget the first time I said to somebody uh, after a first date who went in, he came in to kiss me and I was like, Hey, I've had such a good time with you. I find you incredibly attractive and I really look forward to hanging out with you again and I'm not going to kiss you right now. 
And I remember he stepped back and was like, the look on his face was like, you're now 10 times sexier than you were before I tried to kiss you. Wow. And then with that, that same person, like maybe four or five dates in, we were at his house. It was getting like hot and bothered and we were like getting in, you know? And then he started trying to take my clothes off. And I said, um, I'm, I've made a choice for myself to not have intercourse with someone until a foundation of trust and vulnerability has been established. And I want to continue establishing that with you if you're interested, but I'm not going to have sex with you right now. And he turned to me and that's when he said, you couldn't be sexier. Like you couldn't be. And I learned like, oh, I can be just as sexy without just giving myself free willy nilly. I can be just as sexy holding holding myself and and respecting myself and not being so quick because I do believe spiritually you you talk about kundalini yoga tantra this is all the study of like our creative life force energy right which as you said before we're all here because of sex within sexuality is the impulse that creates life so it's very powerful energetically and if I don't have if our foundation is built on sand and then I have sex with you if you imagine that sex is like a lightning bolt that enters into the room when we start making love right once it hits the foundation if it's made out of sand it's going to crumble but if I've built a foundation with you out of respect and communication and vulnerability and trust and that lightning bolt comes in the foundation can withhold that and move forward more powerfully, almost like charge. It's like a battery charge. Those are my thoughts about sex right now. <laughs> I mean, I I need like I need twenty minutes just to like sit with that because I was like, oh, I want to ask him this question. Oh, oh my gosh, that was so good. That was that was amazing. That was amazing. Okay, so many questions. First of all, amazing. Thank you for sharing about something that is vulnerable but I mean going all the way back to when you started that amazing monologue um <laughs> what <My soliloquy? laughs> um you were talking about how we've had sex education that's all about like the biology of it which is so true it's all about safe sex no STDs not getting pregnant blah 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 but zero focus on what is sex what is happening to our spirit our soul like who are we who am I and what comes out of me when I'm in the space of sex so can you talk about like what is what does spiritual sex education look like I don't know <laughs> I you know because I haven't myself I, I I think this is a testament to probably like I can give myself a little pat on my back I, I use my life as my school. Mm-hmm. So I haven't like, I'm not one to like run to workshops, even though I teach my own workshops, but I'm not one to like run to workshops and run to retreats and run to like, I, my life is my own workshop. My, my relationship is my own Petri dish. And so my own sexual education is probably not been taught to me except for by my own experience. Okay. So there's a little precursor. Um, for me, uh, this goes to the root of A Course in Miracles, the idea that I'm not my body, 
that and and it's interesting to talk about the way we are educated right because it is all about the physical and the practical and the pragmatic which is so 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 important and i don't think either one of us are poo-pooing that right it's so important that we have a sex education yes many people don't get a sex education um so that's really important and it's based on you are a body and these are the things that can happen and if this happens then do this and and that's one part of life. That's one as the physical is one aspect of life. And we're so trained in that, right? You are your body, you are your job, you are your money, you are your personality, you are your name, you are your location and where you live, etc. You are your resume. That's true. Yeah. Right? Like I walk around this earth in my body. So that's true. I am the body. I don't want to deny the body. But is it all that I am? Well, let's look at that right i i needed to start looking at that because if i just when i just believed i was my body and i was my career like i was never satisfied fully Mm -hmm. there was always something more to want and something lacking and something so then i started walking this spiritual journey and start finding like oh there's all these wisdom traditions that have been around for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years that are saying, while you think you are your body, while you are experiencing that you are your body, that's really one aspect of your experience, right? So from a sex perspective, the physical act is an important part, but it's only one part. It's only one aspect. And then I start diving into, like, I'm an infinite energy. Like, I am that which is aware of my body. I am that which is what you are, right? Like A Course in Miracles teaches there's really only one of us here. Mm-hmm. And it looks like there's 7.8 billion separate people. But we really all are of one source, kind of imagining this experience. It's We're, we're obviously talking about something that's like kind of impossible to talk about. Mm-hmm. But we're all... Let's try anyway. Let's try anyway. Let's try anyway. Okay. <laughs> um, something about being with you, I just like feel the silliest. And Good. Yeah. I'm into it. I'm into it. So while it seems like there's all, we're all these different people in these different bodies, what A Course in Miracles and all these wisdom traditions teach is that there's really only one of us here. And that's kind of a tough pill to swallow. Because like, what do you mean only one of us is here? Well, because it seems very real like I can touch my body I can touch your body I have plenty of evidence that we're all separate from each other but what the course kind of teaches is that this experience is much like so it it says ultimately the experience of being in these bodies and it's not ultimately real it just seems very real in our experience Mm. and it's much like a nightmare Yeah. So a nightmare is scary because when you're in it, it seems very real. You have ample evidence that everything that's going on in your experience is real, right? Absolutely. But then what happens? We wake up from it and we go, oh, it was was a dream. It wasn't actually really real. And so from a spiritual perspective, we're kind of in this realm experiencing these nightmares and the spiritual work is kind of waking up to what's actually real. So how do we live inside of a body while knowing I'm not just my body, I'm this everlasting energy of life? Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So we can apply that to sex. Yep. Right? So here I am. I can either have sex with you as a body and as another person and my story about our relationship and who you are to me and da-da-da-da-da, which is all ego, right? The belief that you and I are separate from each other. Or... 
I can be in sex with you. I'm going to be in sex with you. <laughs> Which I would feel so bad for you since I'm not your type. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> I love you anyways. I love you too. But I could be experiencing sexual intimacy with you knowing that you are you with a capital Y, that you are the same infinite spirit that I am, that I'm being intimate with this incredible, miraculous energy and that I can take it, you know, it's like there's a different speed to that kind of sex. There's a different touch to that kind of sex. There's a different respect and a different cherishing to that kind of sex because it's not about an orgasm, right? (laughs) He raped. Oh my goodness. It's not about an orgasm. Right. Even though that's a wonderful part of it. It's about being with somebody and honoring them and dancing with them. And 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 also, if I'm approaching sex from that way, it's very likely that all these insecurities about like the extra roll of fat on my stomach or like like not having the perfect face of makeup on or whatever the bullshit stories are that we enter into sex with. If I elevate my state of consciousness when before I start having sex with you, the stories that are going into my head about my insecurities and my not enoughness and my lack of attractiveness that are then causing me to be kind of pretty blocked and sterile. I'm not fully aware of the experience. I'm not fully. So if I can elevate myself to recognize it's okay that my body looks how it looks and I'm a fucking miracle. Like, of course you want to have sex with me. Of course you want to have sex with me. Like I'm a miracle. So are you like, I have 70 trillion cells moving inside my body. Like my liver is communicating with my heart, which is, I don't know if that's true by the way, but (laughs) I'm sure it's communicating with my brain. It felt right. Yeah. Right. And my heart is beating and my lungs are breathing and my eyes are seeing and my fingers are touching. Like this is fucking balls. I'm tripping right now. (laughs) Like life is unbelievable. It's un- it's a miracle. Yeah. And meanwhile, the travesty of it all is we wake up in the morning and we think it's fucking normal. Mm. We think it's normal to wake up inside of a body, you know? It's not there's nothing normal about it. It's a trip. Being alive, the fact that I can think a thought and move a finger is a trip. People are like, I'm trying to manifest. I'm like, what are you trying to fucking manifest? You just thought a thought and you had an experience right away. You that's manifestation. You, 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 you it's all you're living in the most miraculous experience ever. And if we can bring that state of consciousness into the bedroom. Wow. Wow. And the last thing I'll say is, what if your intuition moved your body during sex? Right. I used to be a professional dancer and I grew up thinking that I moved my body. These treat these teachers training me in technique. But what I always knew on an intuitive level was there was something that happened when I danced that was far greater than my own intelligence. The way I would, you know, even if like somebody filmed me dancing and I would watch back, I'd be like, whoa, I look like that. Mm. Like, I'm so not aware. Like, wow, that was so beautiful. The way my head trailed behind my neck to then my, the way my hair created this angle and the way my arm did the I'm like, I, there's no way that I was thinking my body into doing that there's something greater than me that's moving my body while i'm dancing and if i bring that into the bedroom well talk about orgasmic (laughs) so much good all over again um i have a few thoughts and and like 72 questions and the first one i guess i want to scroll all the way back because since we were talking about 
spirituality and spirituality and sex and a practice that has to do with, you know, spiritual sex education. Um, is there sex education or spiritual sex education in the Jewish faith? And or is there any shame attached to sex in the Jewish faith? Great question. I can't speak to it. Like we could probably get my brother on the phone who's a rabbi. Actually, he's at a big conference right now with my sisters who are both cantors, which if you don't know what that means, it's like the singing rabbi. Um, I do know that in the Jewish faith on Shabbat, the Sabbath, Friday night, sundown, it's actually a mitzvah to have sex. I believe uh, a mitzvah is a a good deed, a blessing, an act of God. Okay. So, or actually, a mitzvah is really a commandment, meaning we're commanded to have sex on oh, Shabbat. Oh, so you're supposed to. Yeah. Now, here's the issue with religion, though. And again, I recognize that, like, I may be speaking out of turn. But Never. the issue with religion to me and to any scholar is that there's the, what we've learned about religion, right? And so, versus what's the mystical underpinnings, of why the religion began in the first place, what was being reverenced, right? What was being honored and worshiped and loved and learned versus, and that's what I would call the mystical underpinnings of any religion. And by the way, at the core of every single religion, that's the same. It's the same mystical underpinnings or metaphysical beneath them physical. And then you have the way culture and doctrine and community and leadership, uh, has taken those mystical underpinnings and and interpreted them to benefit whoever was in power, right? And for the for the Jewish people, there was always this impulse of making more Jewish people. So I'm like, was it was I was I taught that having sex on the Sabbath was a mitzvah or a blessing or a commandment because that was how we encourage procreation? Mm. You know? Like, and are we encouraging procreation because we want to have more Jewish people because we believe that we are the chosen people that does that, if we believe we're the chosen people, does that mean we're looking at other people thinking you're the unchosen people? And so what, we're having a blessing to create more divisiveness in the world? That doesn't seem like a blessing to me. But if we're taught to have sex on the Sabbath, because the Sabbath is the day of rest and the Sabbath is the day that in the, in the creation story that God rested and 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 looked at his or her creation god self god self yeah and that we are commanded on that day to stop working and to let go of the week and to be with our family and our loved ones and to bask in the glory of the creation of the world in which we live right mm-hmm. then that seems like oh that's a really beautiful honoring like sex feels like a really beautiful honoring of the celebration of life and that's what i think the mystical underpinnings are versus kind of the way uh society which has mostly up until this point been this like masculine dominant suppressive depressive um some people hold power other people serve the people who hold power Absolutely. vibe mm-hmm. okay yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I love that there was there's a specific day of the week that you're because I think um, I grew up in the the Christian practice, and it was just very don't have sex till you're married, and have lots of kids. Yeah. 
that was about it. Yeah. There wasn't any, here's when you should have it. Here's. Well, there's a lot of that in Jew world too. <laughs> Definitely. Jew world. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 Is yeah. There? Firstly, you have, have to marry a Jew, right? Mm-hmm. You're a Jew. You marry another Jew. Yeah, although that's breaking down big time. Um, and then, yeah, like you, there's all of, there's all of that. I yeah. mean, while sex is very reverenced, I think this is the true in any world, in any community, while sex is this really beautiful thing we can talk about, there's also been so much, don't have sex until you're married. And like, if you are a sexual being at a, as a, at a young age, that's to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, like we know from psychology, like about like the Oedipal syndrome, like this thing that happens in all of us whether you're gay or straight or bi or whatever um that you look at your parent the one that that is if you're attracted to your opposite gender you look at let's say you're a little boy and you are identified as heterosexual you look at your mom and you have an impulse to want to have sex with her you're attracted to her and you look at your dad and you go you're the guy that's in the way of having sex with her so i want to kill you (laughs) Yeah. That is a psychological impulse that we all have as children, mm-hmm. right? Called the Oedipal. Oedipus. Oedipus is the person, but the Oedipal, Oedipal syndrome. Syn- yeah. Or the, and, yeah. Um, got you. Look it up. I got you. I got <laughs> um, you. And the way I learned about it was that it, in that moment, at such a young age, it's such an overwhelming experience and we don't know how to process it, right? We're very, very young, mm. like less than two years old, maybe. Yeah. And we don't know how to process it. And so we depress it. And and what it is, is it, I had, I read this not too long ago. I read this thing about this moment in our lives that it's, it says it surfaces a toxic ancestral shame that is so grave within the child and no one, no one knows how to process it with that child. So it gets depressed and whatever gets depressed into our subconscious mind at a very young age is ruling so much of our consciousness as we right now, right? Mm -hmm. Like you and I are in our thirties and our subconscious mind was formed before we were six or seven years old. And so, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of shame around sex. Yeah, there is. There absolutely is. Do you think that that is specific to religion or do you think that that is human? Hard to draw a line between the two. Really hard to draw a line between the two, between what is religion and what is human. I think religion is a human impulse from the beginning of intelligent life. We start thinking questions like, who am I and why am I here and what's happening? And and based on that, we create these stories of our experience and who created us or what created us. And mm-hmm. and while that's beautiful again it then is used as information to divide oh you believe something different than i believe and now we have thousands of years of culture that has been based on dividing Mm. us from each other um so is it human or is it religion i i don't know if i can differentiate between the two Mm. well it's i mean i hear i hear that it's it is human to seek meaning and to and to find community it's like it's like evolutionarily in us to find our tribe and so it's pretty rare i think for people to just automatically choose out of any structural 
system of it's just the way our, our culture is is conditioned to kind of find your people. Um, so and even not not religious communities have a belief structure of some sort. Even there's if a line believe- in A Course in Miracles that says there is no such thing as a faithless person. Faith is an aspect of our consciousness. So either you have faith in, you know, you have you have faith in the fact that, that we live in a divine universe or you have faith that we don't. But faith is an aspect of our consciousness. So there's actually no such thing as a non-spiritual person, even if you're spiritual about the fact that there's nothing to be spiritual about. Faith is an aspect. And it, it, what you're talking about before, I'm sorry to cut you off because... My prayer is yes, we so while we are socially conditioned over generation after generation of gen, in divisiveness, right? Like finding my tribe also has meant differentiating myself from another tribe. Mm. Yeah. Yep. So there's the shadow and the light, right? The light is finding my community, finding like-minded people, finding people who I can create with and vibe with and experience life with. And that's the bright side. The shadow side is, well, I also am going to find people who I don't agree with and who I don't appreciate the way they're living. And I don't believe in what they believe in or whatever. And my prayer is... And, and it's literally we're human humanity is going to either figure this out or not. We're either going to figure out that we that there's only one tribe mm-hmm. and it's called the human race and it's called life on planet Earth. Right. There's one tribe and it's called Earth. And if we learn to all serve each other, whether I agree with you or not, whether I like you or not, whether I am attracted to you or not, whether we are in part of the same religion or not. Right. Whether we have the same belief system or not. Either we will figure out that we all have to be in cooperation with each other and that I can respect you while I don't agree with you. And that's actually kind of a really interesting way to live life. Like, what does it look like to have discourse with somebody that you don't necessarily agree with or you don't have a similar background with and to like fucking listen to them? Just fucking listen. Just sit back and listen. Not from listening that's like, oh, I'm going to listen to you, but I'm just going to think about all my opinions about what you're saying and so that I have an opportunity to to prove you wrong in a very sly way later. But like, what if just listening means like, I'm going to actually sit back and breathe and have compassion for, you're not, there's no, no one's wrong. There's literally no one's wrong. Everyone just has their perspective based on their experience. I think it's wrong because I think I'm right. I'm only right because I experience what I experience. And so then I have a perspective and now I think my perspective is right, which means anything that doesn't fall in alignment with my perspective is wrong. So we're either going to figure out that there's one tribe on this planet or we won't and the planet will kick us off. I mean, you and I are sitting in Atwater and on my way here from West Hollywood, as I crossed over, is it the two or the five? into Glendale mm-hmm. is that what it is mm-hmm. uh, the five the five and I look to my left toward the 405 the clouds of smoke from the fires off the 405 like hello humans <laughs> we're getting we're getting flicked wake the fuck up we're gonna get flicked off the planet you know it's like people are so concerned that the planet's gonna end that we're gonna destroy the, we're not gonna fucking destroy the planet do you know what do you know quickly this planet is so powerful that she will just overgrow us 
and just go, you can't live here anymore. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Mm -hmm. So we're we're either going to figure it out or we're not. And some say that we're too far beyond, you know, I'm going to keep going here. Do it. Do <laughs> we it. Were with, because our brains are so trained in divisive thinking, in egoic thinking, in lack, in scarcity, in competition, in jealousy, that we will, if we just wake up in the morning and start our day, we will be thinking about the world and about others and about ourselves through the, through that egoic lens. That's just neutral, right? So we just need to understand that's our neutral. That's our status quo. So if I don't wake up in the morning and immediately have some kind of a spiritual practice to elevate my level of thought, Thought, to move from judgment, separation, anxiety, etc., to love, compassion, connection, grace, creativity, etc., inclusion. Um, I'm shooting myself in the foot if I don't have that practice, right? So that's a number one. Then, once I do my morning practice, firstly, as I move into my day, I will have a far more awareness when I am judging somebody, right? If I don't do a practice in the morning to open my mind to love and grace, when I judge somebody later in the day, it'll seem totally normal. It'll seem very justified. But if I did, and I'll have all the evidence in the world to prove correct Mm -hmm. my, my judgment of another. But if I did a morning practice in the morning and I elevate my feelings and I elevate my thoughts about myself and the world and others, when I experience a judgment later, which I will because I'm a human being, when I experience a judgment later, I'll be more aware because it won't feel so, it won't feel so normal because I did elevate myself. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I have something to compare it with now. Mm-hmm. And so when I think that judgmental thought, then I need a tool there too. So for me, a mantra is, I'm committed to see your innocence, right? So I thought a judgment about you that that seemed very evidenced in reality. And what I know is if I'm thinking a judgment on another, Course in Miracles teaches, when I judge you, I'm to visualize an ax coming down on your head and then see the very same ax falling on my head because there's only one of us here. So if I'm judging you, I'm hurting myself. If I'm judging you, blaming you, whatever, I'm the one sitting with judgment. I'm the one sitting with blame. If I'm angry at you, I'm the one sitting in anger. And it doesn't mean that I'm not justified sometimes to be upset with somebody else. It just means what am I going to do about it? Am I going to stew in it? Am I going to just think about it? Am I going to like go to lunch and talk to my friends about it? Am I going to call my mom and talk to her about it? Am I going to go back to work and bring that to my work? Or am I going to be a fucking mature adult who recognizes that I have power over my life and my emotions and my choices? And so if I can then have a practice to then say, well, firstly, this is like problem, part of the problem with some therapy is like, you're justified, you know, just feel your anger, just feel. And then they stop there. Mm. And I'm like, yeah, feel your anger, please feel your anger, feel your upset, feel it. And then do something about it. Mm. Because anger is just messy. If you just act out of anger, then you're just perpetuating more anger. But if you have a practice in that moment to then, okay, I recognize that I'm stewing. Okay. I recognize that I don't feel love in my heart right now. I recognize that I'm feeling a level of upset. What if I close my eyes for a moment and actually feel it and take some deep breaths 
and invite the highest version of myself into the room and help me see, okay, what is this teaching me right now? What is this offering me right now? How is this asking me to grow right now? What limit am I pushing, which is why I'm so uncomfortable because I'm hitting some kind of a growth limit in my life right now. And and how do I open to take the next step in my growth? Okay, I can ask some questions of the anger. What are you here to show me? What are you here to teach me, right? I can surrender my anger. I place my anger on the altar in my mind and what I place on the altar is then altered, right? I can invite love into my heart in this. So there's so many things that I can do, but the kind of the Advil for me is two things, two mantras. One, I'm willing to see this differently. Very Course of Miracles. Or two, I'm willing to see your innocence. Because what it reminds me is of what we talked about before, which is I can either experience myself as a person, a.k.a. an ego in a world of 7.8 other egos, or I can see myself as an infinite energy and infinite grace, which means I'm going to remember that about you, right? So when I say I'm willing to see your innocence, what I'm really saying is, okay, on a practical human level, I see that you said something to me that really pisses me off right now. But I also know that you are born in this world of an infinite grace, of a pure energy, and that as a pure energy, you grew up in the world. And as a young age, and at a young age, as a young child, you started learning about a painful world, Mm. about an angry world, about an unsafe world, and you got hurt along the way. And you didn't have guidance in your life to help process those things so that you could learn to love through them, so that you could learn to have compassion through them. And now you're an adult and you're acting out of that hurt. And so while it seems like you're saying that thing to hurt me, you're really a hurt person too. And here we are like these babies who never processed our emotions and now we're warring with each other based on all this unhealed stuff. And at some point, somebody has to stop and say, oh, you poor thing. Oh, that thing you just said to me, you must be so hurt in your heart to say that. And not that like mid-Southern Christian kind of like, oh, you poor thing. Like not that like, bless your heart, you know, like bless his heart. Not that like, it's actually like, oh my God, bless your heart. Mm that you got so hurt along. So when I say I'm committed to see your innocence, right in the moment when I'm thinking that thought, it's like, what fucking innocence? Like, I can't believe you just said that to me. Like that is so unbelievably rude what you just did to me. But if I, so I have evidence of that, but if I move from that to I'm committed to seeing your innocence, I'm going to remember, right? I'm going to elevate my thinking above the level of the drama, right? Like the Rumi quote that says beyond the level of what is it exactly beyond the battlefield of right and wrong? There's a field. I'll meet you there. Yeah. Something like that. It's, that's the right idea. Even if the words are a little different. I'm yeah. not sure. So I think that's the, again, we're either going to learn to see that our problems in our life on a daily basis are here to help us grow and stretch and learn and expand and learn to love and communicate and be vulnerable. And it's so beautiful when we live life that way, or we're not going to learn that and we're going to blow each other up. Which might, might happen, but let's hope not because uh-huh. we're both, we're both committed to a miracle. A miracle. Wow. All right. 
There is. I'm gonna let you talk for a little bit now. I'm just gonna <laughs> zip my lips for a no, second. So I'm not here to talk. I'm here to. You're the guest. I'm just oh, listening. Okay, cool. I'm facilitating. Okay, I'll keep you sharing. Going. No, I love that, and I think um, that is. There's so much beauty there, and there's. It's it's easier to say than it is to do, but that doesn't mean we can't do it. Doesn't and mean it's, it's impossible. It's not impossible, and it's a practice just like just like starting off a new weight weight training right you're going to start at the beginning and be like i can barely lift this five pound weight but it's if you keep showing up and doing the same thing day after day after day it'll get easier in three months and then in 12 months you'll be like wow i can go up to 10 pounds and then five years 10 years it gets so much easier and your muscles get stronger and the people around you start noticing and it does have a ripple effect so i think it can be easy to just throw it away and be like that's harder that's too hard that's hard i can't that's that's hard but starting uh, that's what a practice is um that's what that's why we we believe in something and we're not perfect at it and i i can start something and then be like i'm gonna make this my everyday practice and then in my first week i only remember to do it five times instead of seven but that's that's what, five more type <laughs> that's five more times than you did last week exactly yeah what exactly. about celebrating that oh exactly so i and love th- it there's one other thing you know that and this is a direct line from A Course in Miracles because I can also imagine people listening going, well, it's easier said than done. It's really difficult to forgive somebody who's hurt me. Um, a Course in Miracles says, you know, I, have, I think about one friend, a friend of mine who says, well, that's very high roaded of you, Ryan. I mean, that is just really hard. That's very difficult. <laughs> With this like condescending tone. Um, and meanwhile, in my head, I'm like, all right, well, you can choose suffering if you want. Like you can choose to be miserable, but there's a line in the course of miracles that says it's not difficult. It's just different. So when I think, well, it's really hard, it's really difficult to have compassion for that person. It's really difficult to see their perspective. The course says it's not difficult. It just seems difficult because it's different. And you have, it's exactly what you're saying. You haven't exercise that spiritual mental emotional musculature yet Mm. and that analogy of going to the gym and lifting weights is so perfect because you know you look at someone who's really fit and you go wow that's so beautiful but how did they get there Mm. literally when you go to the gym as you lift weights you're actually not getting stronger you're actually getting weaker because the when you actually lift weights you are tearing your muscle fibers right they can't do it you're tearing your muscle fibers and you lift weights and you 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 um approach weight that's a little heavier than what you've been able to do yesterday right and you reach your limit and then you want to re- push a little more and then when you get stronger is how you walk away from the weight and when you go home do you eat the proper nutrition to nourish the body back to health do you take a bath with epsom salts do you get a massage do you take a cold shower like how do you take turmeric as an anti-inflammatory do you eat anti-inflammatory foods to help rebuild the musculature and then now you're stronger and then you can go back to the weight and lift heavier weight and the same thing happens over and over and over again and i think that we're a culture of people who are walking into the world and we're lifting really heavy weights Mm. like as a society there's a lot of weight we have to be lifting right now there's a lot going on and it's by the way for everyone out there going it's worse than it's ever been like go take a history class (laughs) yeah it's so true okay (laughs) 
Like, it's always been this bad. And that's a line from A Course in Miracles that it literally says, when you wake up, essentially, it doesn't use the words wake up, but when you wake up, when you get woke, mm-hmm. it'll seem like everything's getting worse. It's not. You were just anesthetized to how bad it always was. Okay, does that make sense? Absolutely. When you wake up, you're looking around now from fresh eyes. You're walking, looking around from the perspective that there's another possibility. There's a possibility of healing. And meanwhile, because you have this new perspective, you're looking at everything and it seems like it's getting worse. No, your perspective shifted. So everything seems like it's getting worse. It's just as bad as it always used to be. You just are not tolerant of allowing it to be that way anymore. Right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. So the... I lost my train of thought. (laughs) Well... I loved it. I was following you, hanging on your every word. Um, it was good. It was good. Um, but yeah, getting woke and you notice everything, everything gets, everything seems terrible and crazy. But yeah, you're right. I mean, like every time people freak out and like, oh, it's worse than it's ever been. I'm just like, sorry. <sighs> like I've had grandparents in wars. I've had, I mean, like, yes. no, no, you're like, you're not, you're not being in relationship with the history of your family because right. even if you went back two generations i can promise you that when my, you know like when my ancestors were when the the wife was pregnant and the man went off to war and she was sitting at home thinking i hope that the my baby daddy comes home alive right. before i give birth to this child that seemed a lot darker than the moment I'm sitting in, which, yeah, there's a lot going on. I, I'm not trying to minimize the, the grief in the world. It's here. It's thick. But it's not the first time this has happened. And it's really important to be in connection to that because when people get dramatic, that's when they lose me. I'm like, yeah. okay. Yeah. All right. You're dramatic. Because you're no longer part of a solution. Right. Right. And I think I look at you as somebody who is consistently engaging in solutions. And I don't remember who was it, Theodore Roosevelt. I don't remember who it was that said hope is born of engaging yourself in solutions that when you look for ways to be a part of a solution whether that means making food for people who are starving or going into the prison industrial system and meeting people there and finding out how they got there and what their problems are and bringing solutions and getting educated or um, getting politically involved and finding out how your voice actually means something and why the corruption in our politics is here and what Citizens United is and why it's so important that we overturn that and how we've given our power. You know, when people say to me, the biggest problem in our country right now is Donald Trump. I'm like, you, it's so interesting to me that you would call a Donald Trump voter ignorant because you just said the most ignorant thing you could ever say. If you think that he is the problem in our country, you are ignorant. You are so not woke. And I'm not trying to judge. I'm just discerning right now that you are asleep at the wheel. How the fuck do you think he got elected? How the fuck do you think our politics have been created over time to consistently, bit by bit by bit by bit, mute the voice of the people and increase the voice of the corporation to make massive, massive sums of money allowed to enter into the political process? This has been happening for a very very long time and people have been screaming from the mountaintops that it's gonna explode and no one fucking listened because you had enough credit to buy your house and do your job and da 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 
and you watch TV and you got lazy and you got complacent and you listened to all these media messages and anytime something bad was happening in the world, you just kind of went to sleep, went to sleep. It's like there's a reason that the Jesus story when Jesus is in his final moments Right in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's with his disciples. He knows that Judah, Judah, right? Judas, Judas, close. Judah, I'm a Jew. <laughs> he knows that Judas has betrayed him at this point. Yeah, because of his intuition, he knows that he's something bad. He knows what's happening. And his final night after the Last Supper, he looks at all of his disciples, and they're asleep. And he says to them, "Will you not lie awake with me in my final moments of agony?" And metaphysically, what that means is it, they, the disciples were in too much pain. They were so afraid of what was going to happen. And they were too, they didn't have the strength to stay awake, to bear witness to the pain of what was actually going on. So they fell asleep. And that's what we've done as a society. We've just fallen asleep and fallen asleep and looked away and looked away and allowed it to happen. And now here we are. Right. So to think that he's the problem, that's like um, looking at uh, a zit on your face and blaming the zit on your face for the zit on your face instead of looking at like, oh, there was some kind of infection that was spewing in my body for a long time and it just showed up. Right. That's like looking a better analogy (laughs) is like it's like looking at a well, it's like looking at cancer as something that happens to us. As opposed to something that brews within us because we're not looking at the lack of health that was happening for many, many years. And then it shows up as cancer, right? Or disease, any kind of sickness. It's like looking at a iceberg and thinking that the iceberg is only what you can see above the water. When meanwhile, there's this massive mountain underneath the water of ice. So what I was saying about you before is I believe when I look at somebody like you or myself, hopefully we have hope for the future because we are engaging actively in solutions in our individual ways, which means that we are around other people who have this force of forward motion and this hope that we can cultivate new community and new understanding and new, un- right? I meet people every day who are doing epic work on this planet to find solutions to the world's biggest problems. Not not just like convenient problems, like, like friends who are in the center of the conflict between Palestinians and Israeli Jews in the Middle East who are literally bringing Palestinian families together with Jewish families who like that that Palestinian's daughter was murdered by the brother of the IDF soldier who went to the occupied territories and opened up gunfire and then that Palestinian's girlfriend was or or sorry that is that Jew's girlfriend was killed by that Palestinian's you know cousin who set off a bomb in the nightclub like that petri dish of stuff mm. there are people who are getting to the root of that and Mm -hmm. starting to create conversations to create understanding between why do the Palestinians look at the Jewish people as monsters and why do the Jewish people look at Palestinians as terrorists? Why are we painting this, this broad picture on people 
and what is is there another way and and what we're finding across the board is what matters the most is that we listen to each other and that we listen to each other's stories and that we have find some understanding for why we believe what we believe about each other and when we do that we realize it's nonsense it's it's actually bullshit it's actually just thoughts that we think about each other but when i can sit and look in your eyes and feel your heart and oh you you want the same things in life that i do everything's different then so we started with sex (laughs) and then we went into spirituality and oneness and responsibility how do we bring all that back to sex? How are they related? You're amazing. <laughs> if sexual intercourse is the way in a physical sense, emotional sense, spiritual sense that we can most connect with another human being, we can see sex as an opportunity to be spiritual, to practice our spirituality. And I believe that the purpose of spiritual practice, and this is not just my belief, this is this is coming from A Course in Miracles, this is coming from, again, every wisdom tradition. The purpose of our spiritual life, the purpose of life, is to become enlightened. And if you're listening and you're like, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> enlightened? That seems like some guru bullshit, right? The Course teaches that enlightenment is the shift in my identification from I am my body to I am spirit. Okay, these are words to describe things, right? So the shift is I'm born in this, I am a body, right? Like we talked about earlier, I am my resume, I'm all these things. I am Caroline, I'm Ryan. Enlightenment is the shift from believing that that's only what I am to I am actually everything. I am actually everlasting life. I am the breath that I am breathing. I am the energy that is offering me brilliant opportunities right now. I am the energy of life that is moving me through the planet. That when I get into a meditative state, that when I open myself spiritually with gratitude and willingness and asking the universe to be a part right so when i recognize like oh wait hold on like i think i'm waiting to believe in quote unquote god like if i'm going to believe in god i need so much evidence as if i don't already have ample evidence like the sun is shining the waves are crashing plants are growing Birds are flying. I am talking. I am breathing. Invisible food called oxygen. (laughs) Light is entering somehow through a hole in my eye that's being interpreted through this machine called my brain. And somehow I'm seeing a picture of what's going on around me. Meanwhile, we also know that like a large percent of energy is dark matter so it's actually nothingness that i actually am not even perceiving like the whole what more evidence of a creative force do i need the issue is is that i become separate 
from all of that brilliance with one thought, and that is the belief that I'm separate from it. The belief, right? The Course in Miracles says that the ego is the belief that I'm separate from my creator. But it says it's a belief, right? It's imagined. We imagine that we're separate. So as soon as a problem occurs in my life, because I'm believing that I'm separate from all of life, now I'm believing more in the problem to hurt me than in the power of the grace of the universe to offer a solution, right? And because I'm believing in the power of the problem, I'll see evidence of how it has power over me everywhere. And of course I'm afraid, right? Course in Miracles says, fear is a sure sign I'm relying on my own strength. If I'm afraid, it's because I'm relying on my own sense of self, this ego sense of self, my own strength. Mm. But if I open my mind through daily consistent spiritual practice, if I open my mind to, again, the sun is shining, <laughs> I am breathing, life is so miraculous. I am so blessed to wake up inside this body today. I am so supported. My digestive system knows how to digest food, etc. Then when a problem occurs, I'm going to open to, I'm connected to the energy of life, which has a solution for me right now. And so instead of talking about the problem, I'm going to talk about the solution. For my the majority of my life, the vast majority of my life, I did not believe in God. I did not believe that we could be living on a planet of so much destruction and angst and for there to be some creative force that was in power and in control of it all. And along my journey, I ended up realizing that the reason I didn't believe in a power beyond my own understanding was because I wasn't willing to, was because I didn't open to it myself. And so sex is a great analogy because whether you're male or female, if you are the receiver in sex, uh, you have to open yourself physically to receive the masculine, okay? The, 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 that which, right? So that which enters. Mm. And so there is the feminine, which is what receives, and there is mm -hmm. the masculine, the masculine, which is what enters into the space. Mm -hmm. And we all have physically, I mean, excuse me. And we all have masculine and feminine energies. Uh -huh. No matter what your gender or non-conforming gender is, we all have masculine and feminine energies. Those are words for receiving and giving. Yep. Yeah. And so because we've been so trained in our world in action and doing and thinking and creating, we haven't been simultaneously spiritually educated in what does it mean to receive, right? And this popularity of meditation these days is because there's this well we've got to start learning how to receive and the ultimate reception right the ultimate reception is from our divine guidance mm. another word for that is god and there's a reason that in um indigenous cultures they referred to the earth as the mother and they referred to the sky as the father father son Mother Earth, the idea metaphysically, because we we have bodies because we're connected to the Earth, don't we? Right? Yep. We're connected to the Earth. We eat food. That's how we have physical bodies. 
So we are a part of the feminine, ultimately. We're grounded to connect to the earth, to the mother earth. And the creative force of life, the father, yeah, enters into the mother mm-hmm. to create life. Yep. Another word for this is inspiration. Inspired, being in spirit means I am opening myself to receive intelligence and then my job is to put that out into the world. But if I'm always putting stuff out into the world based on what I think I'm supposed to do with my time and my money, I'm never going to find the level of success that I think I want. I'm never going to do anything transcendent. Be, I'm never going to surprise myself. Um, and I'm never truly going to touch the planet and leave a mark, make a dent in the universe. Mm-hmm. But if spiritually I train myself to open, to receive, what does that mean? To ask questions, dear universe, like I wake up every morning and after I do my gratitude practice, I ask these questions, which again come from A Course in Miracles. The questions are, where would you have me go? What would you have me do? What would you have me say? And to whom? I ask the questions because if I ask the questions, that is my opening And then I'm going to get the guidance throughout the day. And I relate that to sex because I am done with sexual part. I mean, I'm very happy in my relationship now sexually. Hey, Ori. (laughs) But I used to find myself with, I identify as that which receives in sex. The one who receives. That's just what I prefer. Sorry if this is TMI. Parents, are you listening to this? Oh, It's all good. (laughs) No, no, bring it, bring it, bring it. It's all good. Live as an example. And the amount of partners that I was with who thought it was acceptable to just enter me without us taking the time to open. Mm. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. It's unbelievable. Like, it's unbelievable that people don't understand the work it takes to open ourselves, whether you're a man or a woman, to receive Mm. sexually. And both partners have to be willing, whether it's massage or touches or conversation or and, and, and that doesn't mean two minutes of massage and then we're ready. It might mean an hour, right? There's something so powerful in foreplay. And I think our spiritual practice is like our foreplay. It's how we practice opening so that we're ready to receive. And we need to take that into our spiritual lives. We need to have some foreplay with God. (laughs) We need to have some foreplay with the universe Mm. to open ourselves bit by bit by bit so that we can receive so that what we're putting out in the world is actually in alignment with what will benefit others, which is what ultimately will benefit myself. So that's how I would most relate sex and spirituality or sex and life. Learn to receive that's a good one. That's that's a lot. Whew. I think I'm going to have to listen to this 35 times just to break it all down into bite-sized pieces. Um, and it makes me think about a couple of years ago um, when we were talking and you asked me about where in my life I create space to receive. And I was like, mm, and I couldn't think of anything. And I remember you challenged me to take a bath every day for a week. Um, and I remember being so mad cause I was like, I hate baths. I hate sitting in water. I hate like, uh, that's not, that's not productive. That's not efficient. Like I could be getting something done and now I'm just sitting here. 
Um, but once I hit like day three, it was amazing because all of a sudden it was where I got ideas. Like it was where I did receive, like it was where I did get creative inspiration because I wasn't just pounding the pavement, producing, being in my masculine, like we are talking about where we have both the power to be in our masculine and enter into the world and be in our feminine where we're receiving. And it was suddenly like, I, I was like, oh, I get to sit in a bath and see, see what ideas I get, like see what photo shoots I dream up, see what friends I think of that I need to reach out to, see what emails I maybe even should write to like create a new collaboration with someone that I've always thought is so rad. Um, and I never carve out space in my day to receive. And so when you challenge me, I mean, obviously I'm going to take any challenge because I'm very competitive. (laughs) (laughs) So when you're like, I'm challenging you to a bath every day for a week, I was like, first of all, fuck you, but second of all, it's on. (laughs) And I learned so much. I really did. I really, really learned so much about really intentionally being in the place of receiving. And you, I, have to create space to receive. It doesn't just happen. It's not like, I mean, and for some people, I think it is easier for them to be in the receive and it's more difficult for them to be in their masculine and be the producer or be the driver or be the, you know, whatever it looks like in that moment. But for me, I'm definitely in my masculine like 99% of the time. Yeah. And I I need the practice of creating space to be in my feminine so that I can receive, even when it comes to, like, if we're talking about sex, like, even if it comes to, you know, time where I I need to just receive space, like you were saying with foreplay, it's not just like, wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, let's just like, okay, cool, we've been together for years, so like, let's just do this. Right. But carving out that space to just be in it, and it's, it is, it's difficult. It's, for me, I'll, I'll speak for myself, it's not just like, I'm so good at this, aren't I great? But- having a space to get to talk about it is really supportive. Yeah. And hopefully having a space to inspire others um, who are still listening all these minutes later, um, hopefully it will it will inspire others to, to be just even more mindful of what's possible and to even notice throughout a day, was I just in my masculine all day or was I also in, you know, was I, was I in one and not the other? Um, because we all have a spectrum of energy available to us. We all have masculine and feminine. It doesn't matter what gender we are. We have the full spectrum sitting on our doorstep. So dance in the whole freaking thing. Amen. And, you know, it doesn't have to be. I'm not suggesting that you be sitting in meditation 12 hours a day. No. My suggestion is have a five-minute morning practice. And then in the afternoon, take 20 minutes to get into a bath. That's it. Like, that's enough, right? The Course in Miracles says five minutes spent. Well, the Course uses Christic terminology, meaning Christian terminology. But we look at it from a metaphysical perspective. The Course says five minutes spent with the Holy Spirit in the morning ensures that he is in charge of your thought forms for the rest of the day. Here's how I would say this for people like me who aren't necessarily comfortable with the words Holy Spirit or he, the masculine referring to God, would be five minutes spent with your highest self when you wake up in the morning ensures that that highest self is in charge of your thoughts the rest of the day. 
And so what's counterintuitive about spiritual practice and about opening to the feminine is that when we open, that level of thinking that comes into that openness now is in charge of all the masculine activity that I'm doing it all day. And so the masculine activity that I'm doing all day doesn't have to be always so much effort. It's not about so working harder. When I'm in my flow, because I'm opening consistently, I'll have a thought about something and then I'll get an email that it's already done. Mm. Right? Like, all the thought that I, oh, I need to make sure that I... Or I'll I'll, I'll have a thought like, wouldn't it be great to share about something I'm working on on some big podcast? And then, ding, I get an email with some big podcast being like, we're aware of what somebody told us about what you're doing. Will you come on our – like that's the kind of stuff that makes life flow. Mm. But if I think I have to do it with my masculine energy alone, I'm limited. But if I just take five minutes in the morning and then about 20 minutes, I love the bath idea because it's the one place, unless you live next to a hot spring, (laughs) (laughs) that like the feeling of the warm water and how it soothes and relaxes the muscles of the body. And then we're in water, so we're far less likely to bring our electronic devices into it, right? Mm Mm-hmm we relax into ourselves and we just give ourselves the opportunity to wash off the masculine go get him energy of the day so that as we go into the evening, we can just be present and we can see things. You know, if you want to, if you're creative, like you said, your business at the core of everything you do, Caroline is your creativity. Am I wrong? No. It's your creativity. Mm -hmm. At the core of what informs everything you do, it's your perspective and your creativity. on, And that informs how you see the world. And your ability to put things out in the world that touch people is based on your perspective and what you're seeing and what you're experiencing. And you can either stay on the surface or you can drop into... A presence that sees things openly and differently and with inspiration. And now you have something to say in the world. Now you bring that energy into your masculine. And your masculine takes that and puts it out into the world, right? Now you're now you're talking. Now you're touching people. But without it, your ability to make a dent in the universe is nullified. Hmm. My point in that long diatribe is it doesn't take a lot, right? The universe responds to even our slightest invitation, but we have to be the invitation. It's good. I like it. I'm going to buy it. Stick around for part two of this discussion to hear a Q&A with Ryan about his social media practices. And as a side note, this is a really good one. You should check it out. This episode of Out of Line was produced by me, Caroline. All sound editing, engineering, and original music composition by Jaden Lee. And a big thank you to Cat Footwear for working with Out of Line this season. 
hit subscribe to get the next episode on your mobile device when it drops next week. And if you love what you heard, please whip out a review, will ya?